We Infuse Podcast, episode number 30. Welcome to the We Infuse Podcast. My name is Dylan McCabe, and in every episode, we give you a behind-the-scenes look at the Infusion Center as we interview owners and CEOs of Infusion Centers and industry experts so that you can get tips, tools, and a roadmap to take your own Infusion Center or practice to the next level. I'm really excited about this interview because we interviewed Joshua Smith. He's the Chief Revenue Officer of Pure Infusion. He's got a lot of experience in this industry, and he's going to go really deep on some powerful principles regarding valuation, how you value your business. He's going to talk about major models, the buy versus the build model, the key insights you want to look at if you want to go into a market and build an infusion center, all the things to consider there. And then he's going to discuss scalability, how to scale that business and set it up for an eventual purchase one day. We're going to get into all that and much more in this interview. Before we jump into that, if you don't already have We Infuse in your practice or in your infusion center, you owe it to to yourself to learn about how We Infuse can save you time and money, just head, head over to WeInfuse.com. You can schedule a short discovery call with one of our account executives, or you can jump right into a demo of the software. You will be blown away about how it makes your life easier and enables you to grow a successful practice as well. All right, guys, let's jump into this interview with Joshua Smith. All right. As I stated, we have a special guest on the show today, Joshua Smith with Pure Infusion. Joshua, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Dylan. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking in. I'm looking forward to this because you have a unique background. You've been in the VC space. You've been in the mergers and acquisitions space, and you're the chief revenue officer for Pure. So I'm looking forward to you shining a little bit of a different light on the infusion space and bringing some expertise there. But before we get into all that. Just for our listeners, kind of share your background in the industry and how you came to Pure. Yeah, so I uh, I've been in the infusion business since 2013, and prior to that, I was in capital markets um, for eight years, and so I've done a lot of valuating companies, not just healthcare companies, not just infusion companies, but valuating all types of companies that are out there. Um, but in 2013, I got involved with um, just a strategic business initiative. It was a a dialysis company um, that started an infusion business kind of as a side business. They had a lot of interest there um, and did a lot of great work. You know, we did some partnerships with some practices, grow and grew into some new markets across the country. Um, And then I joined Pure in February of of this year. Um, And really Pure has just been just a wonderful place to work. Um, they're a company that's been around for just about two years, um, currently in three states, in Colorado, in Idaho, and Montana, um, but really, really hyper-growth oriented um, and really looking to do some great work in the communities that they serve both today and tomorrow. So um, a great team of folks there, and, and it's been uh, an interesting, you know, seven years in infusion, um, going all the way back to the what we would consider to be the heydays of Remicade, all the way up to today, and, and biosimilars, bioidenticals, and you know, in-office sub-Qs, and, and those expansions, and then some additional formularies that have come out. So it's been just a wild ride, and I've really enjoyed it. That's that's really neat. Yeah, you have such an interesting story, and and I got to deal a lot with Trey uh, in the sales process with We Infuse. So we thank you guys being a software customer. But I, you know, he clearly is on top of his stuff and a go getter. I mean, I remember 
communicating with him and interacting. You know, I shoot him an email, man. He he'd get back to me so fast. And I thought this is so great because this this guy's leading this company and he's being hyper responsive and super detail oriented. And um, I know you guys are really experiencing some some great growth. Well, now that you are with Pure and knowing the background that you have, let's talk about valuation. I mean, you have a skill set in that area. What are some principles of valuation that people should consider when they look into maybe partnering in an infusion center and investing in an infusion center, starting one? How do you go in with all the analysis you need? Well, I think I think the first place uh, from a valuation perspective you need to understand is is the market that that you're trying to serve um, as you come out of the gate. You know, uh, there are some markets in this country that are very competitive from an infusion offering perspective, but but being competitive doesn't just mean one thing. It could be that there's a lot of infusion management companies that are providing a great service for uh, the physicians in that area. It could be just tons of in-office um, physician practices doing infusion on their own, taking care of their patients. You know, it could be that there are uh, infusion organizations, um, like many of them that are out there, that are, are just diluted into the market and they're in every other block, similar to dialysis centers, right? And then you've got some markets where um, the hospital systems have figured out with their sister models where they've got all these little community health um, hospital um, locations and they're providing infusions in those locations. And then the last one is, is, you know, is there a major um, pharmacy player that's getting into the infusion space and doing a lot of work, whether it's transitioning to home infusion, whether it's, they're trying to put them in a Walgreens or put them in, you know, anything like that. So, um, all of those different mixes present different opportunities in an individual market, you know. And so, you're, if you're thinking about valuation, one of the first things that that is going to come up is is well, what is going to be your patient acquisition strategy? Is it a partnership strategy? You know, is it um, what is most commonly called what we called a de novo in the healthcare kind of VC space? And that that is just a clinic that you build from ground up and um, you don't have a partnership with a, a, another healthcare entity, a physician practice, a payer, a self-insured employer, um, and you're just going to go out and compete to, on service and on price um, out in the market, right? And so um, that patient acquisition strategy is going to be very, very important because it's really going to speak to the stickiness of the revenue and the EBITDA that you're, you're able to generate in that business, and that stickiness is going to be really important if you're if you're in a company or a practice that's looking to say, hey, I want to build this up and then I want to potentially exit. I want to sell this uh, to someone. Well, one of the things that they're going to look at is, you know, obviously all of the trends and the numbers and what you've done in the last 12 months and the last three years. And uh, are you levered correctly? But they're also going to look at how sticky is this patient population? You know, is if we come in and we provide X, Y, and Z, can we turn this patient population into patient population plus X or Y or Z? Or margin, can we expand the margin? And so I think the patient acquisition piece is one where they usually just assume, well, here are our numbers, here's where they've come and that's it. But if you're going into building an infusion offering, whether it's in your office as a physician, whether it's an infusion management company, or whether it's, it's um, one of the other models that's out there, 
you really need to understand where you're going to get those patients and what those patients mean on the exit side of the transaction as well. And so when we were talking about this offline, you'd mentioned the buy versus the build model. Can you Mm -hmm. kind of break those down a little more for people listening who are maybe looking at both or in one versus the other? Yeah, I think I think a lot of um, your in-office physician infusion is what we would consider to be the the build model. And that and that just means, you know what, they they're going to start self-referring or not self-referring, but they're going to just open a room and start providing infusions to their patients. Right. And in some of the other models, um, it's really you open a clinic down on the corner, uh, maybe across the street from a health center. Um, you staff it, and then you start to market out to all of the physician practices and all the other healthcare entities in that market. And you're just looking to beat people um, on price and service and be competitive in that space. Um, so that's the build model. The buy model is is really what, what we call it's just a strategic partnership. So are you uh, going to go into a market and are you going to partner with someone? You can do both. And there's no doubt you should do both every time because there are so many patients right now at need for a site of care. Uh, but the, the buy model is, is maybe you're going to align yourself with a specific payer. Maybe you're going to align yourself with a self-insured employer and you're going to provide at a lower cost and a better service that for, for their employees. Maybe you're going to align yourself with a practice or a series of practices. Um, so you can do the buy piece is really what you're doing is, is you're going in and you're setting up a strategic partnership with someone who is bringing to you um, some aspect of that patient acquisition. So you're going to compete on the build side. You're going to go out and get patient acquisition because you're going to market and you're going to compete on price and service just out generally out in the space. And then you're also going to maybe overlay that with the strategic partnerships where there's some sharing um, on the, the margin or, or the EBITDA that's created in the business potentially, or maybe you just got a great service contract to provide a much lower cost service at a, at a better care um, for like a payer in a specific market. So, um, you know, if the infusion providers or the folks that are thinking about getting an infusion, if they're thinking about, well, what is the best way to do that? You know, in my experience and in multiple companies, um, it's, it's really a marriage of the buy and the build. You know, you want, you need to have um, a marketing sales in, in a, in a build strategy to go get patients um, and, and to go get them from referring providers. But you also need to understand that in a lot of these markets, so much of this is moving, specifically in the world of COVID, um, that there are just tremendous opportunities to strategically align this practice or this business, this clinic with another entity who can actually get you to a larger swath of patients um, more quickly as well. And so if I hear you correctly, it's, it's really not buy versus build. If you want to go into this and be successful, it's go into it and try to do both, you know, try yeah. to make strategic alliances that can enable you to, to scale and to grow and to make sure you've really kind of diversified your services where you're not dependent upon one source for, like you said, patient acquisition. So, so with, with that said, when, 
when you guys look at this and you expand and you grow and, you know, going back to going back to valuation, what's a big red flag that you would see aside from market saturation in an area? What's a big red flag that you would see if you're looking at an area and you think, man, this is probably not going to be the best spot to open up shop Mm -hmm. other than saturation? Well, depending upon what your model is, and that's really going to kind of dictate how you view a potential market. Um, But one of the things that we've seen that that can create um, a huge issue on the pull through of the patient acquisition, um, and that is the lack of, of providers in a specific market. And so understanding that, hey, you know what? Uh, if I wanted to go to X market or X city, right? And you say, well, um, in order to do that, you know, we're going to be pulling patients in from, you know, pulmonology and gastroenterology and rheumatology and neurology, and we're going to go compete with all these different areas. Um, but if you have a lack of providers in a particular specialty, and one of the specialties that can refer, you know, large numbers of infusion or biologic patients or whatever, um, you know, the issue you're going to get there is, is your number of swings at the plate, your number of opportunities uh, are going to be much less. And the challenge is, is um, when those providers, and we know that a, a number of the specialties that are infusion writers um, have um, tremendous fall-offs in enrollment rates, uh, particularly rheumatology. So understanding that in a market, you may go in and say, you know, this is, we really like the payers. We like the reimbursement rates. We like the population bases, but if there aren't enough physicians that are, that are educated in that particular specialty, um, that is going to make your job really, really hard. Uh, because what a lot of systems will do is they'll, they'll, they'll gap that coverage with just general internal medicine. And so they're not maybe a rheumatologist. So that's one of the areas that I think um, is really important when you're looking at the data. I think a lot of the infusion companies that are out there are looking at some of the regulatory changes that have happened in the space. Um, and so I would caution, and in the industry, they're all going to understand. So it's called cytokine restrictions, right? So you have these are expensive medicines. And one of the cost-saving measures a lot of the payers are enforcing are saying, listen, you, you can do it in this side of care or this side of care because they're lower cost on the insurance plan, right? So a lot of companies or in a lot of infusion companies are looking at the side of care and saying, well, if they're deployed by the major insurance carriers, that's a place I want to be. And, and that's not necessarily completely faulty. But the challenge is, is like in many times in business, you know, it's in the art more so than the science. And the science is they have this policy. It's there. I can see it. I can pull it up. Um, the art is, are they enforcing it? And are there markets within that state where they are enforcing it and other markets where they're not enforcing it? Because um, the infusion companies that are around, whether it's infusion management, infusion partnerships, infusion, what we call de novos, just building infusion centers or even specialty pharmacy, understanding that the enforcement of those regulations is really up to the payer. And so if you just build a business plan that says, well, I'm going to go to this market because they have Cytocare for all the commercial payers, and that's that's great for me. I'm going to pull them all out of the hospital or pull them all out um, 
the challenge is, is they may, be, may not be enforcing it and they may not have a plan. And it could take them multiple years for them to, to put together a plan to start enforcing it in that market. So um, when we talk about valuations, we talk about patient acquisition, Cytocare is one way to look at patient acquisition. It's just you can't place a lot of weight into it unless you're really, really good at understanding and have really good intel and data on the enforcement of those policies. Make sense? Uh, yeah, that's good. And I mean, you're dealing with these behemoth companies. So like, like you mentioned, I mean, even if you have cytokare optimization being implemented in one by one payer, it's going to change by market with the same payer. Or if you have side of care being implemented in a market, that's going to change by payer in that same market. I mean, they're all going to be, you're dealing with these massive it's companies. Payer, yeah. It's going to, you know, and when, when we talk about market, you know, you could be looking at a very large market and they're enforcing it um, or they're not. And then you could probably look, uh, you know, a couple hours drive west or south to almost a rural market where they are or they're not. And they're and they're different within the same state. Right. And so um, just understanding those dynamics are going to be really, really important um, because, you know, the side of care optimization and that piece of the strategy is an important piece to understand for an infusion company, whether it's a physician who wants to do it, whether it's an infusion management company who wants to provide management services to any of the, the, the physicians in that market space, or if it's a traditional infusion clinic company, you know, understanding that there may be opportunities to go get some patients, um, but those opportunities are gonna be less sticky. And um, until you get in the market, many times you're not gonna know the level of enforcement that the payer is, is enacting. That's good stuff. So let's kind of switch gears and let's say you've, you've, you've done your valuation. You found that sweet spot, but you know, between some places just totally oversaturated versus being out in the boonies with no providers, you mm -hmm. found a good place. You, you've set up shop, you're, you're running your business, you're working on side of care optimization and payer relationships and all these things. Some things that I think we don't hear a lot about is the type of partnerships. That's something you mentioned to me before we jumped on the show, the type of partnerships you've seen in this space. What are the different types of partnerships? And, and then we can get into kind of the strengths and weaknesses to each one. Sure. Well, I think, you know, different companies are looking for different strategic relationships. I, when, when we talk about partnerships, you know, I would, I would use that, the term partnership loosely and just say, you know, what strategic relationship opportunities are there in a specific market, right? So, um, you know, there are a number of companies out there uh, that are looking to partner up with physician practices, right? And, um, you know, they, the physician practices, the physicians have been doing it for a long time. Uh, they understand that the challenge with physician practices, is, as we all know, is physicians are getting squeezed. They're getting, they've been getting squeezed for a really long time. So this is nothing new. Um, but with these expensive medications and there are some specialties where they have more medications that they could prescribe other specialties where they have less medications they could prescribe. Um, one of the challenges that you get with any of the partnerships is, and it doesn't matter and we'll get into some of the others, but, um, one of the biggest things that I see a gap in the industry right now is there is a true lack of both financial and clinical alignment. You, most of the partnerships uh, that I see out there, um, and these are good people, and they're arranging 
quality partnerships on the outset. But one of the challenges that they're running into is businesses can go up, businesses can go down, volume census can go up, it can go down, profitability goes up and goes down. Over time, you can get skewed on the alignment of whether it's the clinical offering. So if you're partnering with a practice and you say, well, you know, we make the most money on this drug, this drug, this drug, but your partnership practice says, well, that's fine. But, you know, I refer or I write or I prescribe this drug over here, this drug over here and this drug over here because I think they work better. And so you, you need to be very, very clear that, you know, that you need to have clinical and financial alignment and strive for that over the long term because what that's going to produce for you um, is certainly a better alignment um, for evaluation upon an exit. But getting back to the different partnerships, so you know you have some infusion organizations that are out there, and one of their primary modes of patient acquisition is to partner with self-insured employers, right? And so um, that model is very streamlined. Um, it's very cost efficient because you go in and you build a very small clinic um, that's either just adjacent to or right on the campus of an employer group. And they've got a certain number of lives that are working at the factory or working on their campus. And they just say, yeah, you know what, anybody on all of these really expensive medicines, we're going to send to you and you're going to charge us 50, 50% compared to where they were going before. Right. Um, so you have some of those, you have managed care organizations. Some of them are doing it in house. Others are contracting it out. Um, so there's opportunities for, for organizations to find some of those, obviously physician companies, um, or physician entities um, are one that some groups look to partner with. Now, the challenge, you know, in partnering with a physician or a practice is you've got much more regulatory scrutiny. So um, if someone was looking to get an infusion and has a friend who's a rheumatologist or a gastroenterologist neurologist, and they just like, you know, I want to build this and partner up with him. Um, you've got to be really, really ready, um, you know, from a legal standpoint to make sure you're you're setting up that partnership in a way that doesn't get in the way of the physician's ability to practice medicine independently of the business. Um, and so there are a number of regulatory things that, that uh, a person getting into that business would need um, external counsel um, to make sure that they're setting it up appropriately the right way. So that they don't run amok of, of you know, anti-kickback or Stark or corporate practice of medicine. I mean, there's just it just goes and goes and goes. Uh, there are certainly ways to do that. But it, it, it does take some more expense on the outset to do some of those things. Um, you know, and there are other partnerships out there or relationships where um, you've got, you know, payers and it could be a major payer in a particular market. It could be a smaller payer in a particular market. Um, and they've got certain capitated lives. They've got these lives that they cover and they cover all of the medical expense for a year for these patients and their infusion treatments could be the most expensive aspect of that, right? So there are companies that are out, um, and they're aligning themselves and contracting with those payers and saying, listen, we will, we'll place clinics out wherever your employees or wherever the, these patients live so that they can get these treatments and we're going to set up a financial arrangement so that a we're held to task on uh, clinical quality initiatives and B we're going to, we're going to set up a, a financial arrangement that's lowering the cost of 
um, the delivery of that care to the payer in that market. And so then the payer then can set up that strategy. I mean, there are, there are payers out there in this country that are, uh, quite frankly, because some of these drugs are so expensive, they're sending patients to Mexico for treatments. I mean, they're paying for flights. They're paying for hotels for patients to go get their treatments in Mexico in some instances, which is sad. So I think that um, the the infusion companies that are out there that are that are expanding in some of these markets, I think they're scratching an itch that the industry uh, desperately needs. That's good. You know, this is every we say this over and over again, but this is just one of those business models where you need equal parts. Uh, clinical expertise and business acumen because it's a complicated model. You're dealing with patients. Obviously the patient comes first and what's, what's best for them, but you have this issue of dealing with massive insurance companies and also very large top line revenue. And if you make mistakes, the impact on, on your bottom line as a physician or somebody who owns an infusion center is, is dramatic and you guys clearly know what you're doing. You, you're, you're growing and scaling a successful company. But all this is so helpful. I, I say all that to say this is so helpful because anybody listening to this knows that this is not a simple undertaking here. There's a lot to consider. There's regulatory issues. There, you know, there's there's just so many things to consider to do this well. And I, you know, the thing that I'm I'm getting out of a lot of what you're saying is, man, make sure you are partnered with somebody who knows their stuff. Yeah. And um is very passionate about the patients, but knows the business side of it. <laughs> well, I, I think that yeah, that's exactly right. They, anybody that's going to, that wants to get into the infusion space, whether it's a, again, a physician practice or a business person who knows some people or, you know, whatever it might be, even a pharmacist who's like, you know what, I want to build my own infusion offering in my little market of the world. Um, you know, there are there are really good companies that have figured this out. There are also a handful of companies that are still working their way, you know, through the challenges. And, you know, this niche of healthcare, uh, as I call it, you know, really is is a budding industry, but it's it's still in its infancy. You know, and you know, if you're thinking, if someone is out there and thinking, well, if I can grow this and go to a couple of markets and you know, and, and drive some margin and drive some profitability. Hey, you know, I could get acquired and that could be a nice little business. And that's true. That's true. Um, but who's, who's going to buy it. Right. And is it, if everyone is sitting around saying, well, it's going to be one of the majors um, that's not necessarily true. You know, it may be a much more elegant and simplistic transaction to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to build this business around a, a particular payer footprint because payers you know, they're owning everything in the healthcare supply chain. I mean, they're owning the providers all the way through the the, the PBMs, through the, the the whole system, right? And so if you build a nice little business in your specific market, it doesn't mean you need to cross state lines. Um, you can do that. It just increases uh, the regulatory scrutiny and it changes some of the rules of the game. Every time you go across a state line, uh, the name of the game can be a little bit different, right? And so... Um, the, a lot of the companies that are out there today, I think, are doing a really good job, but they they have gone through and taken their lumps. Um, and I think that, you know, this industry is is really expanding right now, which is great. And if you were to ask most of your, whether it's infusion management, infusion providers, physicians in the space, uh, there are plenty of patients to go around. I mean, it's just it's expanding um, at almost an exponential rate. 
um, the, the medications that are coming out. Um, so, you know, the reality of it is, is a lot of us that are in this space believe that this space is here for the long term. It's going to continue to look different every year. Um, and some businesses have had more of a challenge on co- with COVID than others. Um, but that's just the natural element of as, you know, things change in an industry. And this is something that none of us plan for. Uh, but some businesses were a little bit uh, positioned for that just by luck. Uh, and, some, and some businesses had to do some pivoting and they did very, very well. Uh, but I would absolutely agree with your statement that if someone is looking to get into the infusion business, whether it's a, a physician, whether it's somebody else, um, that they can source and find a quality business that can provide them some guidance and assist them. Yeah, you better do your due diligence. Yeah. Well, let's 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 uh, shift gears and talk about something else because we've kind of got we've kind of gone through major phases of the business from valuation and startup to partnerships and the kind of strategy you have in place as far as partnerships and what you want to do to separate yourself in that market. Let's talk about scalability. What do you do when you've hit cruising altitude and you really you you feel like you've got your processes down? You've got your core values. Your vision is being realized. You've got roles in the right place. You got the right seat on the bus, as Gino Wickman would say in the book, book Traction. How do you scale? How do you get to where you need to be five, ten years from now? Well, I think you know a lot of a lot of companies uh, struggle with the scaling question, and I think as it relates to infusion, you know, uh, one of the things that in in my previous life in some work I did when I was um, at DeVita um, is obviously, you know, they are, they are a perfect example of a company that started from the throes of bankruptcy um, and did some rebranded, um, really committed to the employees and to the patients. Um, it, it really was a culture shift. Um, and then they built this model and then they were able to scale really, really well. And I think one of the things that all infusion companies have um, an issue with, and that is clinic level staffing. You know, clinic level staffing is something that's always a moving target. And the companies that are doing the best job from a scaling perspective, they're not having to go find, you know, new employees every few months because that, that is one of the biggest drags on an organization is when you've got 15, 20 different open positions. And we also know that on a national basis that um, staffing from a nursing standpoint, that there is a nursing shortage, just like some of the uh, physician specialties that we talked about. You know, everybody's looking to get, you know, being a nurse is a very competitive industry right now, specifically if you're in a highly populated area. And so I think companies that are doing, being very intentional, about their career pathing, their messaging, their culture, um, and their internal marketing. You know, so many of the companies, you know, they'll say, you talk to a leader and they'll say, well, you know, my nurses have been with me forever. And and that is, that's a quality metric. Uh, But is that nurse necessarily good? You know, that's where, (laughs) you know, they, they may have been with you for 15 years but if they come over to my business, they're going to be there for 15 minutes. So, um, you know, yeah, they've the been here 10 years, but they're running everybody off. <laughs> that's right. So, you know, the challenge is, is what are, what is your, how does your internal marketing align with your culture and vision and values? 
you know, what are you doing to market internally to all of your clinic locations? As you said, you're flying the plane, you've got air cover, you're in a couple markets, you're doing well, profitability is good. Um, growth targets, strategic alliances are coming out. And so you're working on some great stuff. You know, you can really stub your toe as you're growing where you have to continue to look back and say, man, we, we always have 20, 30 positions that we're trying to fill. Right. And so um, one of the challenge with scaling an organization is making sure that you have an appropriate um, internal marketing program that ties into your culture, vision and values so that people understand that, yes, this is the culture. Is it a familial culture? Is it, you know, it's a big company that wants a small company feel, which you hear all day long, right? Um, but are you doing the right things um, so that every, all of the employees from the frontline employees that are providing these treatments to the patients, to the administrative staff that's in all of the, you know, your 12, 15 or 50 or 100 clinic locations, all the way up to your regional management and then your um, national management, right? And, and it's got to be something that's consistent uh, and it's pushed out. Um, that aspect of scaling is something that I think is, is at least an infusion hasn't been as much of a priority. And quite frankly, it's rightfully so because these companies are younger. And so they're still getting to a place where um, putting together and having the, the financials to build an internal marketing strategy um, or, you know, you, you've got to get to a certain size in order for that to make some sense. But even if you're, you know, say you're driving five, 10 million in EBITDA, you know, that's a, that's a big enough size where you should be spending time because every dollar that you spend there um, is much, much cheaper than the dollars you're spending to go recruit and try to find and interview new people and most companies are not one person interview organizations, as you know, Dylan, you know, there you've got to meet with this person. You've got to interview with that person. Maybe it's a team interview. So, I mean, you're, you're pulling in tons of bandwidth to do that. And, and again, um, we're talking about scaling bandwidth is the name of the game. You know, how are you parceling up the bandwidth on the key players in the organization um, so that you can continue to propel the organization forward. If they're too busy looking back and trying to backfill bodies, um, they're not looking forward. That's so good. So if I hear you correctly, it sounds like the chief revenue officer, who's a numbers guy and a, a mergers and acquisitions guy before this is saying scalability really comes back to core values and vision and culture. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I mean, when you're thinking about um, the ability to scale to get to a certain size, that's that's an area that's often missed, right? And, you know, you think about, well, you know, is the model scalable? Usually when you talk about scalability, it's, well, our, our model is a joint venture with a, with a physician practice, right? Okay, so how many practices can you get in front of? How quickly can you get in front of them? And how quickly, what is going to be your close rate? Again, most of those types of, of deals, Dylan, there are minimum 18 month process. 18 months right now in infusion is a lifetime. So many things change. So if the scaling the business is that, if the scaling the business is de novos and we say, you know, we look at this and we look at this and you have your 20 or 30 different data points you look at to say, we're going to go build a clinic on down on the corner of first and central. Uh, and then we're going to go market. Okay. You know, how repeatable is that? It's very repeatable. 
but it's going to be some time before you're going to see substantial or contribution EBITDA to the business um, that would be interesting, right, to a potential acquirer. Um, if you're an infusion management company, you know, one of the challenges at some of the infusion management companies is was that clinical and financial alignment. They're really good at getting the clinical alignment piece because they're really taking a lot of burden off of the practice. But the second piece is the financial alignment. You know, you set up a contract to be a management organization on behalf of a physician and you're kind of at the whim of, well, what are the contracts out there? Where's ASP? Where's the drug price going? You know, um, what are there other formulations? You know, is, you know, you got a formulation that's an infusion that you get to capture the margin on and then all of a sudden an oral comes out or, you know, they switch it to a self-injectable at home, you know, and so those are all external forces that as a management company, you have less control. The challenge is, is as you march through time, how do you secure that long-term financial arrangement? Do you, do you have contracts where you have look-back periods and you can do true-ups and you can do some things to make sure that, um, you know, as you continue to go back and you're scaling that business and bringing on new clients and new management clients, but you're not, you know, you're not getting churn, which is, you're not getting old clients that say, you know, hey, we're good, we're going to go a different direction, right? And so each of the businesses have, you know, on a traditional scalability perspective, they have they have different issues that they have to overcome. Yep. But it's so neat that I, I just love that you said out of those issues, which all those issues have to be knocked down and you have to put processes in place. But I love that with your role and your background, you said it really comes back, though, to vision and culture and relationships, because nobody wants to work in a place that's rocking and rolling financially. But but it's it's, uh, you know, you get anxiety just thinking about going to work because the culture's so bad and it's a caustic environment. So I just love that, that you took that it back to, that. to the patient. You know, that, that that goes to the patient, the patient sees that. Um, and then, you know, you can spend, you know, $5 million on the nicest location in the, in the world. But when it comes down to a patient, their experience with that nurse and with those individuals and their relationships with those individuals in that clinic are really going to be much more the deciding factor whether they come back than, you know, the wallpaper or the floor, so good. you know. That's good. It's great advice. You know, we did a, an interview with um, Gary Cooper, the executive chairman of Palmetto. And it's mm-hmm. so interesting because Palmetto is a great case study for how to have a successful uh, infusion practice and, and model. But he took it all all back to leadership and culture as well. So I just I just love that you guys champion that. And um, because everybody needs to hear it over and over again, it's easy to kind of get in the weeds and and get too focused on on, you know, not keeping the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is the patient and the people, whether they work for you or they come to your center to, to get a, a you know a very important drug that they've been prescribed. So and and it's difficult. It's hard because you know whatever the infusion offering is for a company or, or there is a lot of competition and um, there are a lot of opportunities. And so a lot of leaders are, are really focused on those and they need to be focused on those, but you've got to, you've got to lever your organization and the leaders in your organization so that they have some of the soft skills to ensure that, you know, that focus on the team, the culture, the leadership, the career pathing, everything that you want to do to keep good employees happy 
uh, because good employees are going to treat patients good and patients are going to be happy. Right. And so um, it's 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 difficult. And a lot of the infusion companies have scaled um, and have grown pretty well, pretty quickly. I think the entire industry has, quite frankly. So um, it's not just one versus the other. I think everybody is enjoying, um, you know, kind of mid growth phase. And the reality of it is, is, you know, if you are enjoying that and you're doing things, doing a lot of things the right way, don't forget uh, to take take care of the people that are taking care of you. You know. So good. Well, uh, you know, Joshua, we could talk about this stuff for another hour or two easy because it's really neat. Oh, yeah. I love, I, I, I love the skill set you bring to it and I'm, I'm learning a lot and it's just got me thinking about so many other things we could talk about, but for the sake of time, we'll bring it to a close. So the last thing I'll ask you is how can people get in touch with you? Um, people can get in touch with me through email, LinkedIn, obviously cell phone calls, I'm very responsive in any way. I'm also involved with uh, with NICA. So if they come in through NICA and they're looking for some assistance there, um, I'm accessible through that. You know, I think uh, there are a lot of people that are thinking about infusion, whether it's a physician practice, whether it's, you know, like a business person or, you know, there are organizations out there that have been in infusion for a couple of years and haven't kind of really figured out who they are yet, you know, and if they want some assistance there, Obviously, I'm involved with with Pure Infusion Suites. So if they um, reach out to pureinfusionsuites.com um, and put Josh, you would like to talk to Josh Smith, um, they can do that. If they reach out to me on my LinkedIn, they can do that or they can do that through NICA. Um, really, you know, as I mentioned to you when we were kind of talking offline, kind of prepping for, you know, this call, you know, I see myself and I think a lot of the people that are involved in NICA um, as being kind of a servant of the industry. We're doing whatever we can to, to raise the level of expertise um, across, whether it's the business side of the infusion, whether it's the clinical offering side, whether it's you know employees, leadership, management, all those different things. Um, it's really important that people know that there is a community out there for them through NICA um, that they can access and really get access to you know, any type of not even it's like consulting, but assistance in how they're looking, how they're building, how they're growing um, and in making sure that they're going to be a quality provider long term in the space that they're in. So and I, I really appreciate, you know, you having me on. Absolutely. Well, Joshua Smith, Chief Revenue Officer with Pure Infusion. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dylan. All right. Great interview with Joshua Smith. I love the fact that he has a background in mergers and acquisitions, and he also has a seasoned background in the infusion center world. But when asked about his, you know, the most important advice he can offer, it's really, it really comes down to culture and relationships. I just love that. That shows you right there that he's a leader who knows how to properly influence people and how to build an or- the kind of organization that people want to be a part of. Just wonderful stuff. Guys, if this has been helpful to you, please take a minute to rate and review on iTunes. It's a great way to say thank you to us and to help us get the word out. In addition to that, if you haven't done so already, definitely head over to weinfuse.com. You can learn more about our software and how it saves you time and money and also about our consulting. If you want to take your infusion center to the next level and scale it, or you want to start one from the ground up, I truly believe you will find no greater resource than the experts over at We Infuse. All right, guys, this is Dylan McCabe with the We Infuse podcast, and I will catch you in the next episode. 